0: listeners. Welcome to Unseen, the Trafficked Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Rowland. You're going to get to hear true sex trafficking crime stories. These are stories that maybe never made it to headlines. Maybe they weren't believed. And you're going to get to hear from survivors themselves tell the truths of sex trafficking. Join us and remember Listener discretion is advised. We understand the the greatness about our community, and we know the struggles of our community. And I think that that is something to be excited for when we can come together and share stories like ours and be a voice for those who need us. You are worthy, you know, and you are. You're precious. You know, you're beautiful. And in spite of what you're going through of what you've gone through, it does not determine who you are going to be in the future. It's just being able to tell my story to that one person who can relate or that one person who believes me. All that mess you went through, there's a message in that. And there's a message of hope and transparency and freedom for somebody else. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Your freedom is in your mouth and it's the key to somebody else's chains. You matter and your story matters always. You're, you're taking the voices of the unheard and you're letting them be heard in a very safe space. Hey everyone, it's Victoria, the host and creator of Unseen the Traffic Truth. Thank you so much for listening today and joining the team of listeners the crew that's been following since the very beginning and i say that to say today is the going to be the 49th episode that has been published and that you might not see all 49 because some have been removed some have been edited and changed and we just never really uploaded um, some were small little reminders and not full episodes etc cetera, etc cetera. But I'm bringing that up because I'm doing this episode today and sort of with a message that it will be the 50th episode and marks two years from when we first released my story, the first episode on my birthday in 2020. So with everything going on with work and the joys of being a co-founder and a member of different groups and, you know, just kind of re-engaging in different community aspects, you know, post-pandemic and everything, I think we're going to take a pause, a very long pause, if not end, at the 50th published episode. And that will be the end of July. So I hope that with that, we will be able to essentially, raise awareness, folks can go back and actually listen to all the other episodes. And um, I know my very beginning listeners have been listening and they wait for episodes. And it's it was like weekly to biweekly. And now it's literally monthly. And I want to give a big shout out, obviously, to all the guests, and all of the folks who want to spread awareness and share their story. That's why I'm going to not take a like a huge, huge break and totally dead it. But I do want to leave that window open for folks who do and are part of their journey where they want to share their truths. However, I'm going to be losing my wonderful editor and who's been a very big, big, big part since the very beginning. Bailey has helped with so much more than just editing And it takes a whole production to do what we do, obviously, or it would be as simple as today, me just getting on the microphone. And I cannot do that. If I get on the microphone, you guys cannot just get me on an episode and it plays because it's bad. But it's a whole production, and I just want to thank her, and I want to thank Claire for the idea of just empowering me to be able to use this platform as a safe space for those that are unseen, unheard, not believed, and that way, when folks are coming across actual, you know, survivor truths in the true crime space of sex trafficking, they come across this one and they learn lots and lots and lots of lots of important information from healing journeys to the truths on what trafficking looks like, how it affects marginalized communities disproportionately, people of color and LGBTQA2 Spirit, Non-binary, Mahu, plus all of the folks that are underlooked. So with that being said, I'm gonna cut my announcement <laughs> short and just say that If you haven't listened to the first episode and if you're just joined today, go ahead and feel free to move backwards from this episode to the one before it to et cetera, et cetera. Don't just stop here and then go back to the first episode because the first episode needs some damn edits. (laughs) We kept it as raw and true as it could be because one, that was my story. And two, I hadn't told it that way before in this space for 15 years. And two years ago, that's what I was doing. And I was doing it for other folks who were in the same position, who wanted to finally end their silence, who wanted to finally heal in that aspect of their journey. So of course, there's a lot of so's and ums. And thank you to my partner who was very supportive in the whole thing. There's a lot of things that I left out um, that I'm trying, I'm figuring out that are, are, very important in my story. But those will be communicated to, you know, people that are close to people who reach out, and people who understand the work that's being done. Um, So that was just like a little tidbit. We also kept it true to the origin of how we started it we didn't know it was going to be like a big production so uh seven you know sometimes I was saying the trafficking truth and then we didn't have any like music or pauses in between there I feel like you could freaking hear my dog in the background like trying to get on my lap because you know they know when you're about to hit that like emotional peak (laughs) Um, But again, take time to really try to listen to the episodes, share the truths, visit our Instagram and our Facebook. And there is a Twitter, but very slowly moving on to that. Again, the production team, we are coming to a close and Victoria will stay open to episodes. This will actually be for the month of June, which will mark us at 49 and then July's episode will be episode 50. And I say that to say we are approaching, you know, at a good pace here. We're almost at 32,000 downloads across the entire scope of like North America and we're in we're international, we're in different countries. You know, I think almost every continent except for like Antarctica and, and like <laughs> okay let's get into the episode super excited super excited super excited okay Today's episode will only be me covering a very, very sad case of a woman of color who is still missing, y'all. Y'all know I don't cover missing cases, missing stories, unless I have some, like, support. There was some coverage, you know, like little um, articles here. I think the bigger one was, like, the Seattle Times. There was one writer who um, sort of wrote a medium on it. And she really started off by saying, like, how come this is not a whole podcast? Like, how come there isn't, like, a lot of more coverage when there's documentation? The mother is speaking out. And it's, it's sad because she is black, white, and Native American. And she was only 18 at the time of her missing. And it's been almost actually more than 10 years And the cases are still getting covered, but I don't believe I saw any for this year with any more new updated information. But again, I know I haven't been following it because I don't follow missing cases, but this is very important because the premise of this involves human trafficking. It involves her being sex trafficked. Yes, there was some coverage. There was a podcast um, covering it um and i don't really want to mention those kind of art those right now um because they were still using terms that i don't really um like to incorporate in my work and when we start covering it and you'll notice that i say that she was 16 so one of the things that i mean is that they were calling her a sex worker um and she was still a teenager so again she didn't go missing until she was 18 and this plays an important role of missing and um murdered Women, especially missing and murdered Native Hawaiian, Native American, indigenous folks, etc., that go missing. And this is a case that I'm covering that happened almost te- more than 10 years ago. So this is um, a lot that we're going to take in. All right. Emily Kelsey Collins. Well, Let's just say we're going to call her Kelsey throughout this article, even though her birth name was Emily, and she actually liked to be called Emily it was reported. However, um, after an escape of a domestic violence situation, her mother changed names and um, her middle name became her first name. So Emily Kelsey Collins, around seven years old, was when her mom and her sibling went were able to flee an abusive stepfather who pretty much abused them since Kelsey was about three years old. Kelsey went through a lot, uh, like many of our teens that we hear of, that we speak on, that have been on the podcast, you know, and young people that have very much similar vulnerabilities. So I want to start off this by saying she had a tough life starting from the age of three. But it wasn't until she was seven When they were able to flee the abusive stepfather, relocate to Seattle, and the mom did what she could, Miss Sarah Collins, to protect her children. They did name changes. They stayed in safe houses and transitional family homes until she can stabilize, pretty much. But at this point, it is reported that Kelsey witnessed, you know, abuse and domestic violence from her mother's um, first marriage. And then, again, there was... um, reports and allegations of the stepfather abusing Kelsey and her sister. And that's what really prompted her to flee and go try to start a new life in Seattle. The good part of this sort of case, though, is that um, after the allegations, Sarah did what she needed to do for her daughters, and the stepfather was convicted of sexually abusing them and is serving a 20-year prison sentence. So let's just say we're starting off on a good little path here, I think. All right, so unfortunately, we're going to get into the dark and dark stuff, right? Let's talk about the vulnerabilities. I mentioned earlier that she is a girl of color. A person of color, a woman of color, but some of her vulnerabilities not just being the traumatic experience that she suffered, but she also had learning disabilities and a disease that she had multiple surgeries for, especially starting at a very young age. I think it was the surgery started before the age of seven. But her part of her learning disabilities, you know, affected her schooling. Um, she was in special ed classes. It was actually reported that she had um some hearing problems as well and some of the issues that stemmed from this this situation that I'm about to get into is that she was very vulnerable in the sense that a lot of instability but also falling through the cracks should I say because she was already in a system where it was um, you know uh, Using you know, social services, her mom was trying her best. She was in special ed classes. Um, it was also reported that her sister engaged in alcohol and drugs. So unfortunately, I'm going to report by the time she was 12 years old, there had been um, some things that they were noticing. She was being truant in school. And she later reported that she was sexually assaulted by a classmate at the age of 11 and she did report to authorities but unfortunately they weren't able to press charges. So that in itself and her trying to recover and heal from that started a lot of vulner you know a lot of situations with her life at 12. So this is where the mom starts to report and she does too. She reports being super super vulnerable to older older guys and older men, not even just like 5 6 years older than her. Um, So she started skipping school, she started to use drugs, she started to drink alcohol, and then she meets somebody, right? So unfortunately, you know, when you're preyed upon, these vulnerabilities stand out, right? So um, it is also reported that, Miss, you know, her mom, Miss Sarah Collins, did try her best and, you know, she just tried to keep her stable at home. But, you know, it's really hard when you're fighting against a, uh, you know, older people, that lifestyle, she's probably more accepted there than in school. So this is where she gets in and out of juvenile systems because she's getting, you know, kind of um, reported as a runaway and gone missing and, you know, truant from school. So she meets this guy. Okay. It's reported that he was a couple of years older than her, but she's still 12 years old. Like she's still 12 years old. She's 12 years old and he starts to um, pretty much groom her we're not gonna miss that that part because he was a good guy apparently he was a gentleman he treated her nicely right with the flowers and they would apparently go on dates or he would buy her things you know so obviously that's grooming because he later freaking asks her if he could if she should start selling herself because that was a lifestyle he actually knew. He actually knew of folks, his cousins that were traffickers, um, that were part of the, you know, that pimp lifestyle, because this is happening, you guys, back in, like, 2007, 2008. So she gets involved with him, and she she tried—she did—she does report it herself. She tries really hard not to, like, sell herself. She even reported, like, I couldn't believe that he asked me to be a whore, but that's what I ended up being. So it's very sad that when she started to— get into that lifestyle, she was uh, had already been through a couple of traffickers. It is also believed that he introduced her, again, to these traffickers that he knew. So she's in the streets, y'all. She's going by the name Lady Dollars and yes, she's actually still going to school. Like she's still going to her mom. She's still showing up for court. She's. This is very common. Like uh, it, it just mind boggles me that the things that were so un- uh, underlooked. I know here her mom even mentioned, and this is very true to the cases that we see. Her mom even mentioned like she had bruising and scars and she would ask her about it. And she was just like, oh, you know, I'm so clumsy mom or. I just got into this and I just got into that. Um, but she was being bruised and attacked and beat up by the folks in the life, different traffickers, different exploiters, different buyers, and different women or probably girls that were also being trafficked. And unfortunately, she was going by, again, still Lady Dollars, and she was going through different traffickers And, I mean, she was in the streets of Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon. And, you know, eyes really weren't on her until she got arrested, y'all, at 16 for the first time for solicitation. Like, I just—I mean, there was one arrest I think she had where she was— she stole her grandma's car, and then she stole her mom's car, and then there was, like— unauthorized entry into a vehicle. These are all charges that juveniles can get um, arrested for, you know. And unfortunately, she was 16, though, when a sergeant pretty much like knew of this situation. And I do want to say that he was actually, we'll just say, you know, Sergeant Doug Justice, but he was actually head or lead of the human trafficking unit. So he realized that, like, I want you to know, like, you're not in trouble, but let's just, like, I saw you getting out of a buyer's car, you know, and by the time this, y'all, this is actually January, 2008. So this is in January, 2008. And she was actually like fed up at this time it's reported that she was just done. And, and he was such a good, um, you know, liaison in this part that with being with the Portland police and the, you know, in this new trafficking unit, he realized that she was a victim and she's so young. So he wanted to build a case against her current trafficker because the current trafficker was the one who brought her to Portland with another female. And she was labeled as a pimp also. And the relationship they did build was, I guess, empowering for Kelsey. She probably felt her at this time. And, you know, he she told him that her current pimp, she only had for like less than a week, brought her from Seattle and explained that he has me working, you know, as a prostitute. And she's been doing everything that these pimps have told her pretty much for the last couple of years and this current pimp and the um which we'll find out later the co-defendant you know she met she reported on them there she was like they bought me everything you know from clothes to condoms to drugs um but you know i made them fifteen hundred dollars i made them fifteen hundred dollars on my first day and since then you know i gave them all the money they keep all the money so he's building up this case and he's like you know what let's 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 get them arrested and, and, you know, let's let's get them get the accomplice also. So Kelsey provided information and agreed to speak, you know, to a grand jury. The testimony was scheduled for 16 months later. Kelsey bravely testified against 36 year old Donico Johnson, who had been charged with interstate sex trafficking of a minor. His accomplice was 30 year old Lisa Miles. She also been charged. They were indicted and arrested in June of 2009. Both pled not guilty. Two months after is when Kelsey testified. So I'm just gonna try to go back a little bit um, because the timeline, I've been reading all of those little reports and I'm just a little bit confused myself because this is, again, this is the time when she went missing. So. Ultimately, the charges were dismissed, y'all, you know, obviously due to lack of evidence. And this was in March of 2010. So she wasn't able to stand trial. Right. So um, and, you know, she was a key witness. So thankfully, though, that wasn't Johnson's only case. Just three months later. Donico pled guilty to trafficking a 14-year-old. He was sentenced to over 15 years in prison and was ordered to repay the victim $21,600. That number was factored in by the amount of buyers. Unfortunately, she had to be raped by a day. So she, this 14-year-old, unfortunately, was raped by nine individuals for the price of $80, which Donico kept. And these were in the streets of Portland. Lisa Miles, the co-accomplice, was sentenced to probation after taking a plea deal. And maybe she was the bottom. We talked about this before, y'all, and or the recruiter. But she was on, you know, probation. Sentenced to probation. So I, I'm gonna put a little pretext to the next part of this, uh, more about her going missing and what's related to this case right now. So this victim was younger, but they received protection during the trial so they you know made sure she was safe they made sure she was there to testify and these are some of the things that Sarah Kelsey's mom and her sister report is the issue and was the issue because Kelsey was super scared to testify literally up to the day up to the hour actually she was on the steps and like crying but she really wanted to do this and it was reported, though, that she didn't receive like the same amount of protection. Um, There weren't adequate resources to help her um, and keep her safe, and y'all, it's so sad to report that she actually went back into life. She was most likely convinced to go back into that, to that lifestyle. Um, And the other part of this is that even though, you know, Sergeant Justice was lead of the Human Trafficking Unit, this was still 2008, 2009, 2010. Everything wasn't as we see it now. So if it wasn't blatantly asked, it was reported that if she didn't blatantly ask for help, ask for protection or ask for assistance. It wasn't given to her. She was like. You know, like the earlier services, she was like offered uh, rehab, you know, again, she's like 16. (laughs) So she's not when she got, you know, quote, unquote, arrested for solicitation. She was on probation, but she was just to go to, you know, rehab and everything like that. That's one of the things that they helped her with, you know. But another thing was where she went back into the life and was even more victimized. Like there were just reports that. There were other traffickers. She was shuffled around. She was just going to different places, not only in Washington and Portland. And there were other women in the trade or men in the trade that would physically abuse her. And like she was just always under control. And it was just so sad to hear that The mom even reports that she was getting threats from Johnson's people, like she was getting threats from people on the streets. Like so you can't imagine why like the family really think that this was related to her testifying in in court, like her having to show up really played a part. Luckily, Donico was still convicted on another charge. Thank you, but it's almost like how Sarah, her mom keeps reporting that they used her and you know, now they just don't even care. So it's really sad that the the time of this happening like the mom is really, really trying to like understand Kelsey's lifestyle and having to just be in this life and also like getting threats of, for what she did. last part of the story where again I don't cover missing cases and it's sad that it is 2022 y'all and Kelsey Emily Collins is still missing we are hoping that she is not murdered I'm hoping that she is not so in honoring the different reports and coverage that was happening I want to kind of read what is the idea behind her the day that she went missing and behind the stuff that was happening so she vanished just 3 weeks after testifying, y'all. 3 weeks and went missing. Okay. Weeks after taking the stand in the Grand Jury trial on Mother's Day in 2009, Kelsey's mother, Sarah, reportedly awoke to find that Kelsey hadn't contacted her. The 18-year-old had left at 5:30 p.m. the previous day, you know, May 9th to travel from her home in Washington and reportedly meet up with her new boyfriend who lived in Seattle. And that's about an hour away. According to Justice for Native Women, Kelsey was only 18 years old. She was last seen alive leaving her home on 100th Street in Everett, headed to visit him. Her plan was just to travel by light rail to Seattle on either Sound Transit 510 or Metro 101-358. It's reported that her cell phone lost power at 8 p.m. that night. She never arrived at her destination and was never heard from again. The boyfriend reported that she never arrived. The boyfriend also is not... He was investigated, but he doesn't seem like he's, um, you know, responsible for her going missing. And her mom also reports that she hadn't really packed a lot of things, so it wasn't like she was gonna go move and she left on her own accord and wouldn't have told her that she was gonna come back. Sarah's mom reportedly asked the police to track Kelsey's phone, but they refused because at this point y'all Kelsey's eighteen, so that's a whole nother area that I don't even want to talk about, but there there is a lot of resources let's just say a lot more resources for missing children. The folks under the age of eighteen, and the weeks that she, after she had gone missing, her phone would go directly to voicemail as if it had been turned off. It wasn't like it, you know, it was completely dead. So, like anybody else, we're thinking that you could still get a signal that gone way, right? So maybe, but Sarah would later learn that the phone was given signals for two weeks in the Seattle area. So two of those weeks there was a signal and the police weren't able or didn't want to investigate that. So the search Sarah continued to try to do with the help of whoever would assist was taking several months. And then after five months, she found out that her daughter wasn't even entered into the missing persons, the the national missing person database. This is not for children. And a lot of backlash has been on the mom because they're like, oh, you didn't report her missing until like two weeks later or two days later or two days a week before. Whatever. Like they're all putting it on the mom. And the mom's like, well, once I noticed, I did report it. And because she was 18, there weren't a lot of resources, they said, that it, that she could, quote unquote, be on her own accord or it's not uncommon or she's allowed per se, to go missing. So I'm just going to read the last sort of bulletin. And this is just sort of ending this horrific tragedy of a missing person. And you can see how this is correlated with sex trafficking. We talk about this a lot. But this, this is really related to why victims don't come forward. I mean and it's so tragic to hear that her mom you know was involved in different violence against her from men and she did what she had to do and for Kelsey to want justice and be up against an an entire um life of you know trafficking and exploitation and the victim and other victims that are in it that are trying to survive it's really not uncommon to think that she's been murdered Um, especially that there's, I was really trying to find more updates and I can't find anything. Her mom is still trying to raise awareness for her case. I do believe like one of the first articles I read on it, like 2021 or 2020, like this should be a whole podcast series, like when other folks go missing, um, but she's not getting the attention that she needs. So. At the time of her disappearance, Kelsey Collins stood 5 feet 5 inches to 5 feet 7 inches tall and weighted 155 to 165 pounds. She had light brown hair, she maybe have dyed it, and she often flat ironed it. But she had beautiful green eyes. Her hair is naturally curly. Kelsey is described as being multiracial, black, white, and Native American. She also has a number of scars, a two-inch surgical scar on her rib cage, a two-inch scar on her left hand's index finger, and a surgical scar across her lower abdomen. Both her ears are pierced, as is her nose. Her legal name, like I mentioned earlier, was Emily. She was last seen wearing an Echo athletic jacket, which was white, black, and red, a pink t-shirt, blue jeans, and black Jordan sneakers. When she left her home, Kelsey was reportedly carrying her phone, an mp3 player, her identification, a small black purse, a hairbrush, and a small amount of cash. Anyone with information regarding this case is urged to contact the Everett Police Department at 425-257-8400. That's the Everett Police Department at 425-257-8400 or their local authorities so that they can kind of coordinate with the Everett Police Department. I mean, I'm just so sad to kind of end it this way, but I don't have any other information. I hope that I gave you a little bit more insight on this relation to sex trafficking and trying to testify against a trafficker. Luckily, he is in prison, and her first abuser is in prison. At least there is some justice in that. Again, if you have any information, contact those Authorities contact your authorities. There's also the National Human Trafficking Hotline, um, and you know if you if you want to learn more about this case, try to reach out and find Miss Sarah Collins. I know she is speaking; like she was on CNN, um, and there's a couple of articles again that are covering some of the same information because I mean there just wasn't any more. There's no more updates. Thanks, y'all. For joining us for another episode of Unseen, the Trafficked Truth podcast. Thank you for being a part of hearing and listening to voices that.